This is the Chronically Fit Show. On this podcast, we speak to people achieving incredible sporting goals despite a chronic health condition. My name's David, and I have autoimmune hepatitis. I'm joined by health and fitness experts to better understand how physical activity can help manage chronic conditions like mine. Through the conversations I'm having with our guests, I'm better understanding how to approach my own health condition. So I hope you enjoy not just this show, but journey. Today's podcast is the story of how a new mother's world came crashing down when she was paralysed, having been diagnosed with the rare autoimmune disease, GBS. Holly Gerlach tells her story, how she's gone from not being able to breathe on her own to climbing mountains and running a fitness class called Warrior Training. Honestly, this is a truly uplifting story for anyone who thinks that they're facing the impossible. It shows that if you just see a little bit of progress, anything is possible. After the interview, I'm again joined by Natalie and Marla to chat through our favourite points. And if you have any comments at all, please do get in touch with the show on Instagram. It's The Chronically Fit Show. So in this episode, I'm talking to Holly of hollyaftergbs.com, which is a site that some people might have seen if um, they're already involved in, in kind of the chronic health community. Holly, thank you for giving up some time to talk to me today. Thank you so much for having me. And what you're doing is fantastic. And I'm excited to be a part of your show. Well, look, this is this is a small step towards something uh, hopefully as useful as what you've done, obviously, um, with regards to, to, to sharing your story. I think rather than me allude to it, uh, it would be great to hear from yourself who you are and what the chronic condition that you, you face is and, and how it's affected your life. Okay. Uh, so um, my name is Holly, obviously, and I right now I am 35 years old, and I was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome 10 years, almost 10 years ago. And at that time, I would have been 26, and I would have been completely healthy. And I actually had just given birth to my daughter a couple weeks before, um, so life was going really well. And you know, when you're in your 20s, you think you're invincible and you think that you don't deal with health issues until you're much, much older. So I was kind of living my living my life in my 20s and happy and healthy. And, and I'd given birth to my daughter and I had a wonderful pregnancy and um, I was just loving being a new mom. And I was at home with my daughter and I was looking forward to my time with her and getting to know her. Um, and then very suddenly my life changed. So I went from being, like I said, completely healthy and at home with my daughter. And then I got up to stand when I was, um, I went to breastfeed her in the middle of the night. And when I stood, I was having trouble walking and my legs started to feel weak. And suddenly I had pain in the back of my neck and tingles in my finger and to me, it felt like it was possibly a pinched nerve. It was something, a feeling that I'd never felt before, um, but it escalated really quickly. So the, the weakness just got worse. Um, my legs, I had a, had a hard time getting upstairs. And then the pain in my neck got worse and worse to the point where I was taking medication and nothing was helping. Um, and then the tingles were radiating through my fingers and they were just getting worse as well. So to, still thinking it was a pinched nerve that was very severe. I went to the ER and there, by the time I got there, I could barely walk. And the neurologist that I seen um, immediately recognized it because he had diagnosed it before. So I was very fortunate in that sort of thing. Um, and he 
said, I think you have a rare disorder, but we're going to do some tests and we're going to see what happens. Um, so we did some tests and I was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome um, through the protein in my spinal cord. So I had a spinal tap. That's how I was uh, diagnosed. And I was told, like, I, I'm like, well, I'm at the hospital now. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get medication and then I'm going to go home and I'll be fine, right? And they said, well, we just need to monitor you and see how severe this gets. Um, Guillain-Barre can, can it's, it's very rare, but it can range from being mild to very severe. And so we don't know. So they said, let's just get you on some treatment and see how things go. And things progressed very quickly. So within 72 hours of that very first symptom, uh, I was on life support, breathing on a ventilator. So the paralysis had spread up my body all the way to my diaphragm. Um, it spread actually all the way up um, eventually to my eyes and I couldn't move anything. So I couldn't move any part of my body. Uh, I was completely trapped, frozen in my body, um, in the ICU, breathing on a life or breathing on life support. And my life, I, it felt like it was over. So I ended up spending almost three months in ICU. And believing that like my life was over and that I was never going to get better and I was never going to recover. But people kept telling me and doctors kept telling me that you can recover from Yombre. It just takes a really long time and the nerves um, need to regrow and they need to um, basically heal, start to heal. So slowly that did happen. And it first started with my fingertip moving and then my hand moving uh, and then I started to learn how to breathe on my own. So I had to practice without the ventilator and just like, it's very, very slowly. It was such a slow progression that so slow that some days you didn't even see it and you didn't believe that you were ever going to get better. But over time I did. And eventually the minutes off of the ventilator, I was able to go a couple hours and then I was able to lift my whole heart, hand up and then I was able to hold my daughter in my arms and I got out of ICU and then from there um, I started physiotherapy and that's where I learned how to use my body again so I learned how to use my hands how to eat and drink how to hold my daughter how to feed her how to change her diaper how to walk again eventually um, so it was a very long journey and I spent about 126 days um, in the hospital before I was able to come home. My daughter was almost five months old by the time I got home. So I missed out a lot on a lot of time with her. Um, but life was so different when I got home. And it was like I had this new lease on life. I still dealt with residuals and I still do to this day. So I, I deal with um, residual nerve pain um, as well as some weakness and just just uh, a lot of fatigue as well. So I know it's very similar to the, the, a lot of chronic illness people deal with. Um, but I didn't let it hold me back. And I just continued to work on my therapy and continued to push myself as much as I could, as well as listening to my body, taking breaks and, and learning to rest. And that's kind of where I am today. How terrifying is it? Without wanting to put too fine a point in it, but to have to learn to breathe again. It's that one of those things that, you know, up until that point in life, you would have never thought about. Yeah, yeah it was terrifying. And being on the ventilator is, was probably the most horrific thing I'd ever been um, on. Um, 
it's just like struggling to breathe, right? You're, you're constantly gasping for air. Um, the machine, though it's delivering air to you, it, it doesn't feel real. And so every minute feels like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through. So it was very challenging. And then them saying, okay, you're going to, you're going to go off the machine and you're going to do it on your own. And it was, it was very scary. And it was something that I actually like deemed impossible. I thought there's no way I can do this. And I would do trials for 30 seconds and I would be left hyperventilating and crying and hysterical and thinking I can't do this. And I would go back on the machine and I would think I'm never going to be able to breathe on my own. And I think once I kind of started to see that progression, and I think it was the first time that I lasted uh, two hours and 45 minutes, I was, I was like, okay, I, I think I can do this now. And so then by the time that I finally did, it was, it was weeks and weeks of trial um, on and off. And once I was able to finally do it on my own and they took the trach out from my throat and I was no longer breathing on a machine, it was like, wow, I did something that I thought was impossible. And it really sparked uh, something inside me that went, nothing is impossible. And there's so many things that we think I can't do this, I can't do this, or I'm not even going to bother trying because I just can't. Um, and after going through that, it really taught me that nothing is out of reach, especially if you, you, if you have to try at least. So look, I mean, it's kind of led you to the point now where you're a, a personal trainer, you have warrior training. Am I thinking, am I right in thinking that warrior training is launching now? It is. Yeah. It's launching next week. Yes. Yeah. So I, uh, after my recovery, um, I knew my recovery was on me and I knew that like, I no longer worked with physiotherapists and I was doing pretty good, but I wasn't, I wasn't a hundred percent. And so I knew that if I wanted to get any stronger that I would have to put in the work and I would have to exercise several days a week. And so I started doing that at home on my own and I started running at first and then I started doing some workouts, some at home workouts and I saw the progression. And again, I just, I saw that the hard work that I was putting in was paying off and I realized like, well, if I just keep pushing myself, I wonder how far I can take it. And I started to fall in love with fitness. Just, just to jump in, mm -hmm. was that with or against medical advice kind of <laughs> to push yourself? often with chronic illnesses, you know, and you, you said yourself, you have to know when to listen to your body and when to rest, right? So um, it was with, with the, um, yeah, <laughs> it depends on who you talk to. So I had mm -hmm. physiotherapists, um, depended on the physiotherapist, I had one physiotherapist, that was always trying to hold me back, um, just because she was so worried about me overdoing it. Um, but for me, I was I was really listening to my body and I, I wasn't overdoing it. So I had another physiotherapist that I worked with and he really encouraged me about listening to your body. And if at any point you're feeling like you're pushing too hard, then you would want to step back. But if you're not, then um, you're not going to know unless you try. And I really did, like I said, learned about listening to my body and when I did push myself, it was very slowly, so slow that it was, it was a gradual increase. So I would start and see how I felt. And I would do that for a very long time. And then I would be like, okay, now I'm going to try something new. And I would see how that would feel. And some days I would push too hard. And then I would be stuck in bed for a couple of days and I would just be feeling really drained. And then I would know that, you know what, I just pushed myself a little bit too hard. 
And then after that, the situation that you found, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say the situation that you found yourself in when you were diagnosed was, I suppose, obviously an awful experience to go through, but the, lucky in that there was a doctor there who'd seen this before. Yes. Because what, what one, one in 100,000 people um, are estimated to be affected by this. So I suppose when you're talking to physiotherapists and you're talking to other healthcare professionals, yes, you found that doctor in, in the ER, but a huge amount of healthcare professionals must not have seen this before. Yeah, so that doctor had, the one that diagnosed me, uh, but the majority of my doctors in ICU, the majority of my physiotherapists, I was their first patient um, or one of few patients that they'd ever dealt with. And still to this day, many doctors that I deal with or meet, um, unless they're a specialist of Guillain-Barre, um, yeah, it's not common that they will ever come in contact with the GBS patient in their career. So um, every case is so unique as well, which makes it even more difficult because just because you've seen a case of Guillain-Barre doesn't mean that it's the same for every patient. Um, every patient can have varying degrees. Like I said, some are very mild, some are more severe. Some people are left with residuals, some aren't. Some people have very quick recovery, some have very slow. It's just kind of all over the place. So it, it really is kind of meeting other people to learn their stories as well and getting to know kind of what they've been, been through and you can you can find those similarities but then understanding that your your story mm. is so unique to yourself did your family err towards the side of medical professionals telling you don't push so hard or were they supportive i mean obviously they're going to be broadly supportive absolutely but supportive of you wanting to push yourself because I know from conversations with my wife where she will err on the side of caution depending on what a doctor will tell me rather than me wanting to go out and flog myself and run more miles <laughs> yeah um I think yeah I think my mom definitely was very concerned and, and worried that I was pushing myself too hard um but um I think she learned to trust that I wouldn't push myself harder than I thought I was capable of um yeah. <laughs> so prior to this, how sporty were you? You said you were you were fit and healthy, but fit and healthy, twenty six versus, you know, thirty five being kind of prof professional trainer style health is 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 a world of difference, right? Yep. So yeah, I wouldn't say I was fit and healthy at all. I would say I was healthy. Um, I ate relatively well, and I did a lot of walking. <laughs> that was about it. I never exercised. Um, it wasn't something that I felt I really needed to. I was always very lucky that um, genetics, um, I didn't put on a lot of weight or anything, so I didn't need to really worry about that. So um, I never was into sports or anything. Um, so no, I was never really active before. And then going through physio and then seeing the improvements that I made with my body, as well as seeing how um, how it affected my mindset and how it made my me feel, and then as well how it um, improved my residuals. So I had a lot of tightness and a lot of pain, a lot of fatigue, and improved it uh, drastically. And so that was why I continued with it. And then over time, I fell in love with it even more and more. And I was working out at first like three days a week and then four days a week and then five days a week and just continuously. And when I say push myself, like I don't mean push myself where I'm working out so much harder, but just pushing the, the strength a little bit just to see if I can get a little bit stronger. And 
I did that for several years and then I was in the best shape of my life and I was lifting weights at the gym and, and just loving it. And then I had people coming to me and asking me for advice. And, and I was like, well, I don't really, I can't give you advice because I don't know much. I just know what I've done. Uh, so I would share little tidbits and stuff. And then I, I continued to have more and more people like, how did you get to where you were? How did you go from paralysis to in the best shape of your life? And I wanted to show people, I wanted to explain to people. And as well, it took so many, so many years of trial and error. Um, there was a lot of, like I said, the, the pushing myself to the extreme and then being tired afterwards. And there was a lot of um, exercises that I would do and I would have to make modifications. And I decided to get into fitness training so that I could show people that one, there's, you don't have to put, you shouldn't put limitations on yourself. Um, we're so much stronger than we realize. And so a lot of people just write themselves off and think, well, I can't do that. And they don't even try. So I wanted to inspire people to at least try. Um, and then I also wanted to show people how to effectively work out and how to listen to your body and not push yourself too hard, but still finding that balance. Um, and then just, yeah, like the tricks and tips that I learned over the years that rather than spending years and years and years of, of someone else in the gym, I wanted to share that information so that they didn't have to spend that time. And I suppose that makes uh, warrior training very different to other training regimes and courses out there because it is built on this knowledge of coming from someone who has a has a chronic health condition and trying to as you said you had to make adaptions right yes exactly so what i what i kind of explain warrior training is that it's it's sort of in between the physio and an exercise program because i've just found that there really isn't anything between when you're when you've got a chronic illness or you've gone through physiotherapy especially if you you've had um issues where you've had to regain strength where you've lost muscle mass and you go through the physio and then you finish up with it and it, especially it's it's very expensive and not everyone's gets the coverage and then it's like what's the next step and a lot of people that want to get into exercise they may go to an exercise class or they try something and it's it's so extreme and it's too difficult. And so they give up. So I wanted to make something that was kind of in between something that, that step up from physio, but not so challenging that they couldn't keep up um, as well as offer lots of modifications that people can um, do. And, and just a lot of tracking as well to see like how you're feeling. Um, Cause I find like the fatigue, like if, if it's continuously getting worse, then, then that's probably something's going on and you don't want to continuously be, be, um, pushing yourself really hard. You want to get that under control before, um, you ever try to add more days or add more strength. So with GBS being autoimmune, is it something that you have to, to control through autoimmune suppress or sorry through immunosuppressants is there a case that you can relapse to a certain degree and have to rebuild or or is it once it's under control and you've had an attack that you recover and, and you you kind of you are less likely to have an attack i suppose in the future so how gbs works it is a one-time attack basically it's an autoimmune right. response and it and it attacks the nerves in your bodies or in your body um it can happen again it's very rare um, it's rare already for happening the first time. So for us mm. that have been through it, it's rare doesn't mean anything to us, but uh, it can happen again. Um, 
I, I don't know many people that it's happened to. It, it certainly does. And it's varying degrees. So it could be um, very severe the first time and it could come on a second time and be very mild or vice versa. Um, but there are the residuals that we deal with and those can be flare ups. And so they're very, they can be, they almost can mimic an attack. They just don't go as severe. Um, so those are flare ups of, of fatigue and, um, the, the nerve pain and other, uh, different pains that we can get. And we do have to be mindful of those. And I think majority of people that I know that have had Guillain-Barre, they, they know when their flare-ups will happen. They they know what sort of triggers come on. Stress is one of the most common triggers that bring on those flare-ups um, or, or overdoing it and pushing yourself. Uh, for me, I, I do tend to push myself sometimes um, and I, I make up for it. So one of those times is every year I climb a mountain something that I always want to do <laughs> and I will pay for it for a couple of days after, but I account for that. And so I, I just make plans that, you know what, for the two days after I'm going to be in bed and that's okay. And my body will recover. And that, that's what I need. <laughs> and what, what gives you that motivation? Cause you explain their residuals and that, you know, flare ups can be caused by pushing yourself. I suppose most people would not look, not look at the mountain as, they might they might shy away from it because they don't want to go through that. But what gives you the motivation to go? No, I am going to climb the mountain. Um, I think being in ICU for sure, uh, being in ICU for almost three months, completely paralyzed, unable to do a single thing, couldn't even like I blinked my eyes to communicate. I couldn't talk. Uh, I couldn't even speak to my daughter. I couldn't even reach out and touch her. Um, so I think there was a lot of promises I made to myself when I was in ICU. Like if I ever get out of this alive that I'm going to do more and I'm going to experience the world and I want to travel more and just, just see the beauty in the world. Like just simple things were so beautiful to me. I remember the first time that I went outside, um, everything was so green. I was diagnosed in the middle of winter and we went outside and it was all of a sudden every, all the trees were budding and the flowers were blooming. And I was just like in awe of how beautiful it was. Um, so uh, yeah, th those promises that I made to myself of the things that I would do. And one of those was climbing a mountain. So that's, that's one of the things that I do once a year. So one of the questions I've been asking people, and I think I'll skip past this because I think you've already answered it. You know, what's, 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 what's one thing that you could have told yourself at that point of diagnosis? It sounds like it's go climb a mountain. But one thing that I will ask, um, what, what do you think the, the most valuable thing is that you've learned throughout this process and throughout your recovery? Uh, I think the most valuable thing I've learned um, is how short life is and that it can change in an instant. Um, like I said, for me, like it was so suddenly that this happened one minute, I'm completely healthy. And then the next I was in ICU. And so life can change so quickly. Uh, so it's forced me to really go after a lot of goals. So a lot of things that I wanted to do. Um, I think that ties into why I climb a mountain every year. Um, it, I almost have a fear of, of dying now. And it's like, just because I've been so close. And so I really want to do all the things that I've always wanted to do. Um, every year on my anniversary, I celebrate by doing something that I've never done before. So I've gone uh, dog sledding in the mountains. Um, I've gone indoor rock climbing. Climbing a mountain was the first one that I ever did. Um, just a lot of traveling as well. So just trying to really live life to the fullest. And look, you, you obviously we mentioned there about um, 
warrior training but you've also got a book out yes uh that's available on amazon and it's happily ever after i want to say just double checking yeah it is yes happily ever after yeah so i wrote my book um pretty quickly actually after i was diagnosed or after i had gotten out of the hospital uh, because so many people kept asking me, like, what was it like being in ICU? And what was it like being on a ventilator? And what was it like learning to walk again? And it was something that was impossible to explain in one conversation. So I did write the book. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it fairly quickly because I wanted to get it all out. Um, and now I'm actually in the process of rewriting that book. So that book will come a new version of that book will come out um, in 2021. Um, just because so much has happened since then obviously getting into fitness training and um, I, I do so much work with the GBS foundation of Canada. So I really want to incorporate that as well. So there will be a new book out in the new year as well. Look, there's, there's probably so many different things that you could pick from here, but if there's one thing that you're, you kind of hold to as your greatest achievement that gives you a sense of satisfaction and pride and motivation to carry on, what would that be? Uh, I would, I would definitely say just the fact that my story has reached all over the world. So when I was in the hospital, my mom had videotaped me and she had taken a camera and taped all these horrible moments of me, like learning to breathe again and, and then later learning to walk again. And when I, at first, like I, I didn't like looking at the videos of me in the hospital. It was very traumatic. But then over time, mm. I was able to piece it together and we made a video um, showing my progress from the very first day until a year later where I was getting into shape. And uh, it was it was mind blowing just to see just because it seemed so quick because it's on video and it's a just a few minute video. But it was it was such a long journey. And so I put that out there and it went viral and it impacted so many people around the world and I had people that have, were diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome contact me and I ended up FaceTiming with people and emailing with people and people were crying to me saying like I had never met anybody with GBS before I didn't even know someone else existed um, I've had so many people reach out to me and say like you've inspired me to start exercising and you've inspired me to live my life to the fullest and so I think that's my greatest achievement is just impacting other people and showing other people that they're not alone. Look it is a hugely inspiring story I feel very privileged that you've taken the time to share that with us today so thank you very much for that and as a final last question recommend a mountain to me. One mountain. <laughs> One mountain. Well, I'm in Canada, uh, so I do a lot of uh, hiking in Lake Louise. So that's, it's a beautiful, right. beautiful spot. Uh, there's a mountain there, right there, and there's a lake, and it's like teal, teal blue. So it's beautiful. There we go. Put it on the bucket list. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for your time today. And yeah, your story's amazing. We'll make sure we include uh, links to to your website so people can find out about warrior training and happily ever after for themselves. And yeah, good luck with with the continued exercise and and plans that are coming out. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me on. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. 
You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Right. Uh, look, first, first quick question, Marlon, I'm going to come to you, but um, how familiar are you with G- with Gion Barre out of interest? I mean, like you learn about it in medical school, but if I'm honest with you, I hadn't heard an actual patient story. Um, and especially like someone that was so open about it and how it's changed their lives until I listened to this episode. I, yeah, I think that it's something that we, we really need to hear from the patient's point of view a lot more in 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 medical school I mean I could we could do a whole episode on this but some of the greatest moments in medical school was when you had a patient come in and they teach you what you should be asking and I think that this episode screamed it because it was so educational about the whole process that she's gone through from the actual you know the before the during and the after and how it impacted her as well so I mean, thank you for sharing your story, Holly, and thank you, David, for having me on too. Because I think it's, I think it's been, um, yeah, a really, really inspiring listen. Yeah, look, I mean, it's something that without without finding Holly online, I keep saying Gion, but it's Gion, right? Like I can't even pronounce it right, and I've been talking about it for about three hours now <laughs> uh, in total. But it's such an alien kind of like should just stick to GBS. Like yeah. it's so rare and affects so few people, and yet the experience that she went through sounds utterly terrifying exactly and can you imagine when she said that like luckily someone had seen it before so they knew what I was being diagnosed with like I mean like so many pieces of the puzzle in her story it requires so many elements of so many people understanding such a specific disease and I think that she really was cared for in in such a great way and and her story is I say it again inspiring I mean, Natalie, there must have been loads there that you identify with from a, from a fitness point of view. I, I, you know, and even that crossover between the medical and then the fitness, especially when she's talking about learning to breathe again. And it was when she be, she thought it was impossible until she began to see bits of progress. Yeah, I, this really resonated me with me. This interview, I found it. Um, it's probably been. I don't want to say my favorite. There's been a lot of very. There's been some great <laughs> interviews, but this um, in particular was just. Yeah, it was just very interesting to hear her story. I mean, you know, she's basically had her life threatened and she's been put in a position where she thinks it's over. You know, um, it's almost like dangling off the edge of a cliff, you know, falling, rock climbing, and you're not attached to anything and you're holding on by your fingernails and you think, I'm not going to survive this. I mean, that's, that's how scary it got for her, you know, being in an ICU for three months, never thinking she was going to recover, never thinking she was going to learn to to breathe on her own again. I mean, something as simple as breathing that you, me, we all do on a day-to-day basis, she didn't think she was going to do on her own. So to go from like learning how to breathe again to then being this like machine in the gym and, you know, starting warrior training and progressing very, very slowly but actually making it through to the other side was an incredible message, I felt. Um, And I think this applies to anybody wanting to achieve any goal. Take someone like that, starting from the very beginning, almost being born again, as it were. And, you know, she said that there were some days where she didn't see any progress, you know, she couldn't even move her little finger, although she's really pushing and she's trying. And, you know, there was a time where she couldn't even breathe on her own for like 30 seconds or however long it was. But 
each day she pushed and pushed and pushed and she was just trying to push herself not to the point of you know exertion or anything that's going to um, complicate her recovery but she just kept going because there was almost like no other option you know she was thinking about her daughter she was thinking about her potential future and it was just those little baby steps that she made you know across the the process of a year and I think that's really relevant to anybody wanting to achieve any sort of fitness goal you know there will be days where it sucks and you make absolutely no progress whatsoever. And some days you feel like you're going backwards, you know, and it's so important to persevere. And I think with her journey and her message, it was perseverance. And I thought it was a metaphor when she said about climbing a mountain, when I first heard her say it, but she's actually, it was actually her thing. I'm going to climb a mountain and that's what I'm going to do. And she's climbed loads of them. It wasn't just a climb back up that mountain it was no I'm actually going to climb a mountain you know and I I loved that um and I think yeah I think this this um particular interview not just with chronic a chronic condition but having something as severe as what she went through it should inspire anybody to know that they can achieve anything they set their mind to and I think there's there's a really important message right there for the fitness industry in terms of all all no, that's unfair in the fitness industry, but it can be super scary, right? When you go to a class and like, you're, you're pretty athletic Matt, and you've got a background in it. And if someone came along to, to like a hardcore class and I'm sure that you would first of all go, Hey, what's your ability and whatever else. But if someone joined the wrong class, they could be like completely put off and overawed by it. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who in 2021, they're going to try and kind of get themselves into some kind of shape because they probably sat at home and, and had a very boozy chocolate filled 2020 right yeah, pretty much i mean i know i know i've been there booze and chocolate um <laughs> i'm so glad the the first lockdown is over <laughs> it wasn't wasn't a good experience as i'm sure it wasn't for, for for many people i think the warrior training that she's um set out is a fantastic idea i think it's brilliant um i mean me teaching british military fitness classes you know i we do have people of different abilities and I will modify a class to suit each person. Um, but I sort of put them into three groups. So there might be someone, I've got someone with chrondomalacia where they've got no cartilage in their knees and you almost have to like adapt an entire training session for someone who's got that, um, who's got that problem. Uh, and then because I've been doing it for so long, I know all my members, so I know what they're capable of, of and I know what they can do. But going to just a, a, a class where you just show up, an instructor isn't always going to know what the condition is that you're struggling with or, you know, if there's something that you can't do. And some people are afraid to come up and say, look, I'm going to struggle a little bit with this. Um, most instructors, a good instructor, will try and modify uh, an exercise or give them something else to do. But there is always that fear that they're not going to be able to keep up and they won't want to come again. You know, if you're not feeling like you're really working and you're not um, getting any, you know, you're not getting anything from the class, um, most people won't go along to it. Even if they get the courage to do it the first time, if it doesn't quite meet the requirements, uh, people won't go again. So I think what she's done is, is fantastic and she's done it off her own experience. Um, and I think that should be encouragement for anybody in her sort of position or anyone suffering with a chronic condition to sort of take that up. And to, and to be open about what they might struggle with and, and not be not be yeah, worried about absolutely. how that's perceived, right? 
it's not just the instructor, right? It's who else is in the room. Because one of the things she talked about was how people now come to her for advice. And I think we all agree, the three of us, that like the value of peer-to-peer support is so important here when you're going through this recovery and you're and you're getting back into fitness and things like that. So if you were in a room and maybe your instructor's great, but actually the people around you aren't that supportive, that can also put you off. So how do we encourage everyone in the room to also be educated on how to support people around you. And I think maybe we could do a bit more of that, the start of lessons, start of gym classes, be like, you know, take a look around you, we're all at different strengths. Some people do it, the good instructors do it. But I think that, you know, it's about being confident with your own ability and allowing that confidence to prevail. We mentioned about climbing up mountains there, not being metaphorical. And she talks about the fact that she knows she's going to pay for it. And that she's going to suffer a flare-up. She's going to climb a mountain and sod it. She'll be in two day, bed two days afterwards, but, but who cares? And she went out on Instagram and kind of put out a post saying, what do people do to get over flare-ups? Because it's a bit of a random one um, and they all affect people differently. And Marla, I just wondered, people came back saying caffeine helps a lot. Um, eating carbs as opposed to fats or complex complex proteins stretching hot baths sounds like it should be quite nice not doing anything some people say sweat a little bit some people say do literally nothing like what's what's is there any medical kind of foundational guideline here that if you're suffering from from a flare-up and 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 your nervous system's overloaded that i mean caffeine seems like an odd one (laughs) well i mean like let's take a step back and let's look at you know what research is out there at the moment about about these type of things and a lot of the time unfortunately or fortunately however your allegiance is with the pharmaceutical industry a lot of the research is driven by pharmaceutical industry and that just is the way that the world is structured right now right that's just where the money sits which is fine but it means that a lot of these other side of things like you know testing about how to do with flare-ups and things there's not actually that much peer-reviewed evidence out there and a randomized controlled trials and all of these different things that are really assessing and a lot of it is on um just you know what people say and and you know that's the type of evidence we're gathering we're gathering some real world evidence and and that's great as well but unless it's you know my my thing is unless it's on the nhs website that they advise it we can't advise it as medical professionals but and here's the but if this works for you, and if you find that stopping exercise works for you, then take a break. If you find that doing a bit of, you know, cardio helps, do a bit of cardio. If you find caffeine helps, do have a bit of caffeine, but you need to know your own body and your own limits well. And don't do anything that you wouldn't you wouldn't regret, like you wouldn't feel embarrassed of telling your healthcare professional about. <laughs> I don't have any I don't have any limits on caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. An excuse to drink more black coffee. I'm like, fine, yeah. As a disclaimer, you need to make sure you check. If you're going to do anything, you know, wildly different, you must make sure that you check with your healthcare professional before you you withhold stuff or start doing stuff, things like that. And like, you know, please don't take that into your own hands. (laughs) Especially not from the advice on Instagram, David. I should say as well, I, I asked Natalie for um, some some exercises that would not impact or not not increase inflammation, and she told me to swing a kettlebell 10,000 times in, in a month, so. <laughs> I'm trying that. I'll give, you, I'll give you an update in a few weeks. 
integrating. I tell you this, we were we were a much more you know professional lot at episode no, no. one. No, this, this is evolving well. This is evolving very well. Um, the thing that struck me, it was it was really emotional listening to her talk. But the promise that she made herself in ICU, you know, where that motivation comes from, and when she said that life can change so quickly, and that that forced her to go after her goals. You know, it's entirely true, isn't it? And anything can happen to anyone at any second. And therefore it's 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 said to her, Well, look, you know, nothing nothing's impossible because I've proved that I can I can breathe again, I can walk again, I can I can pick my daughter up. God knows what that experience must have been like just giving birth to your daughter and then basically her being five months old before she could do anything. Um but I think that's a really, you know, important or really life affirming message that because you can see that slow progress, you can achieve it. And she goes all the way to climbing, climbing mountains. Throughout her journey, her mum was recording all these horrible moments of her in the hospital. Um, and she said, you know, for the longest time that she struggled to watch any of it. But the further she progressed, um, the more she could bring herself to watch those moments. And she made that video of her progress, um, you know, and, uh, how much of a long journey it was and where she came from and where she finished and, and, you know, that she's still going. And that's sort of a message I hope people take away from this. Um, You know, you see on Instagram, social media, people posting progress photos, and some people might be a bit ashamed perhaps to, to post those initial photos where you have got a bit of a tire, a bit of a gut, you know, um, the bingo wings and all the stuff nobody likes or, or wants on their body. But I think it's super important to take those photos, have those videos, because if you do keep going and you follow, you know, um, if you follow her message, which is little baby steps, keep going, don't give up, you know, even on the bad days, give it 110%. Eventually, you can then look back a year ago and see this massive progress you've made. And do you know what? It really, I think it's really good for the soul as well to know that you can improve you can achieve you can do amazing things i mean let's take this year for example it's been shit you know it's not been a great year at all and everyone's gone through some form of you know heart heartache or i don't know breakup or divorce or they've lost their job you know everyone's gone through some sort of crap this year i've had my fair share you know but the one thing I've stuck at and the one thing that I focused on is my training and my fitness. And, you know, the body can do amazing things if you keep it and you keep tracking that progress. Yeah. And, you know, it, it will motivate you in the long run to keep going. I, I can totally buy into that because I've been doing it for three years. <laughs> and the photos from three years ago are not flattering. And I have a folder that I will never share. Well, I don't have photos. to share it because no. it's read not to because Natalie just said you have to. Okay, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I, you see, I have a, and it's not even got to do, it's not even got to do with the photos three years ago. It's got as much to do with the photos now. I'm just, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sharing them. Um, but from a personal point of view, like there, there were, there were times where I felt like I'd plateaued for six to nine months. And then you kind of look back over that time and you do see those changes. And they're very small changes. Yeah. You so, don't yes. have to post it on Instagram. Yes, I think just you're so entirely you know, right. David. It's, it's more of a personal reflection. As long as you <laughs> have to do it, that is all that matters. I think on that note, uh, look, Holly, thank you for being our guest. Um, 
uh, Natalie Marler, thank you for joining me uh, for this third episode. Uh, next week, we're talking to ultra runner Devin Yanko. Uh, please do tune in for that. And uh, please do get in touch with the show if you've got any questions.